Well, church, this morning uh, we are coming to the conclusion of the sermon series that we've been in uh, through the summer thus far, where we've been looking at the various metaphors that are given to us in the scriptures that describe the church and that teach us something about who we are to be as the people of God in the world. So far, we've considered what the authors of scriptures have meant when they described the church as a bride, when they described the church as a family, when they described the church as a body, and when they described the church as, as a building or, or a household or a, or a temple. And each one of those metaphors have shown us something about our relationship with the Lord and our relationships with one another that are profoundly important for our lives together. It's been a good and an edifying series. Today we're closing this series by looking at an image of the church that is not a proper metaphor from the scriptures. In that nowhere in the Bible does one of the authors of scriptures uh, compare the church to this image. So it's not a proper metaphor from the scriptures. But it is an image that throughout history the church has often been likened to and compared with. And it's an image that for the past several years has been close to my heart personally, and I believe has been uniquely applicable into the life of our church in a unique way. So this is how we're going to conclude our series on the metaphors of the church. One other caveat I want to make at the very beginning of this message is that I want to acknowledge, um, particularly with our bishop here this morning, I want to acknowledge that I am basing this entire idea off of a relatively obscure Part of a much broader teaching of Jesus's that is about something else entirely. Okay, so we're going to be mainly looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is a story that Jesus told to show a self-righteous man how broad the call to love our neighbors as ourselves really is. Okay, that's the point of the parable of the Good Samaritan. In the end, it shows us that to love our neighbor means that we are to care for anyone that we encounter in life who has a need. All of humanity is our neighbor, even those that we would consider an enemy. So we are to love everyone. That's what this parable is about. But within this parable, I believe that Jesus gives us an image for the church that is profoundly winsome, that is eternally hopeful, and that is biblically faithful. To the role of the church in the world. So this week we're going to consider the image of the church as a hospital. The idea of the church as a hospital has been around for a long time. You may have heard the often used quote that the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. It's unclear unclear when this quote was originally spoken or who spoke it. Some attribute it as far back as to St. Augustine or to St. Chrysostom in the 5th century, although those can't be proven. Now, regardless of what you may think of that quote, whether you agree with it or not, there's problems and benefits to the idea of it. But regardless of what you think of it and regardless of whoever may have originally coined the phrase, the simple point that I want to make is that the idea of the church as a hospital has been around for a very long time. Recently, Pope Francis said in, a, in an interview that the thing that the church needs most today 
is the ability to heal wounds and to warm the hearts of the faithful. And he continued, I see the church as a field hospital after battle. And so from very ancient times to very modern days, the church has consistently been likened to this image of a hospital. And today I want us to consider this idea as well. So, so this morning I want to show you how I see this image of the church as a hospital in the parable of the Good Samaritan. And then I want us to consider why it is an essential image for the world. And then I want us to consider what it means for our life together as a church. So first, where does this idea of the church as a hospital come from? Well, because of his healing ministry... The Lord is often referred to as the great physician. And while that phrase is never used in the scriptures either, it is certainly a warranted title. In Exodus chapter 15, God is described as Jehovah Rapha, which means that he is the God who heals. And throughout the scriptures, we have accounts of God in the Old Testament through his prophets and of Jesus in the New Testament performing miraculous healings over and over and over again. In Psalm 103, the, the psalmist calls worshipers to bless the Lord who heals all of our diseases. This is who our God is. In the Gospels, we have account after account. Nine different times in the Gospel of Matthew of occasions where large, sometimes even massive crowds were brought to Jesus with illnesses or impairments or demonic possessions. And he healed them all, the scriptures tell us, everyone who came to him, he healed them all. So though he was never actually given the title in the scriptures, there is no doubt that our Lord is the great physician. And in the parable of the Good Samaritan, I think we have a profound picture of the work of this great physician and the role that he invites the church to play in his ministry of healing. So let's look at it together. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open them with me to Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 30. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 30. In this story... A man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers and left for dead. After several people that you would have expected to stop and help the wounded man pass by without lending aid, eventually a Samaritan came upon the scene, had compassion on the wounded man, and he did the neighborly thing by saving the wounded man's life and providing the care that he needed. And it is that care which the Samaritan man provided to the wounded traveler that I believe gives for us an image of Christ in this story and shows us the hospital-like role that we are to play as the church. Look at it with me, picking up in verse 34. After the Samaritan saw the wounded man and had compassion on him, we read, that he went on, sorry, he went to him and bound, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, 
I will repay you when I come back. So what we see here in this passage is that the Samaritan did the saving work and addressed the wounded man's injuries and then gave resources to the innkeeper in order for the innkeeper to tend to the wounded man while the Samaritan went away. Let me ask you a question. Is that not exactly what Jesus has done to each and every one of us? And is it not exactly what he calls us to do to each and everybody else? I mean, think about it. But first, this is exactly what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. For as we have journeyed through life, we have all been overcome by an enemy more powerful than ourselves. And we've been mortally wounded and left for dead on the side of the road of life. Now, that may sound extreme, but is it not exactly what the scriptures say have happened to us? The testimony of the scriptures is that we have an enemy, the devil, whose sole stated intention is to steal and to kill and to destroy. He's described as always prowling around, looking for someone to devour, and is crouching around the corner, always waiting to attack. The effect of his work on us as we journey down the road of life is that we are beaten down and left for dead. The Apostle Paul says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The devil has led us astray and has left us for dead. And it is because of this damage that the robber of life has done to us that Jesus came into the world. There's a statement in the Old Testament that God sees our affliction. He hears our cries. He knows our suffering. And so he has come down to help us. This is what God has done for us in Jesus. And just like the Samaritan, Jesus came and he entered into our brokenness and he ministered our healing at his own expense. Did you catch that in the story? The Samaritan used his own resources to care for the wounded man. He put him on his own animal in order to get him off of the road. He left the innkeeper money for any future expenses related to the wounded man's care. And he promised to cover any other costs associated with the ongoing care upon his return. The Samaritan had administered the necessary healing at his own expense. Jesus has done the same for us. He has healed us at great personal cost to himself. We heard it in our Old Testament reading this morning from Isaiah chapter 53. That surely he has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By his wounds, we are healed. And upon the cross, this is what Jesus has done for us. As Peter tells us in his first letter to the church, 
that Jesus himself bore our sins in his body upon the tree in order that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus paid for our healing at his own great personal expense. He paid the price in order for you to be healed. It's what he's done for each and every single one of us. The Samaritan is a Christ-like figure for us in this way. And that he covered the cost for the wounded man's healing. This is what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. The story doesn't end there. Because after saving the wounded man's life, the Samaritan then left resources behind for the innkeeper to be able to continue the patient's care. And if performing the life-saving, healing work is what Jesus has done for each and every one of us, then continuing the healing care that Jesus has begun with the resources that he has left behind is what he has called us to do for each and every one else. To see this, we, we have to switch roles in the story here. We're, we're no longer the, the mortally wounded person on the side of the road because Jesus has rescued us and healed us. We're now the innkeeper, administering healing to the wounded with the resources which Jesus has left behind for us. And isn't that exactly the work that the church is called to do in this world? I mean, think about it. When Jesus ascended into heaven, before he left, he told his disciples not to do anything. Don't even try to do anything until they were clothed with power from on high. Until his provision, until he provided them with with the resources that they needed to continue his work. And in fact, to do even greater works than he had done. He was, of course, speaking about the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God came down and filled the believers and empowered them to begin a ministry of life-giving healing in Jesus' name, by Jesus' power. This becomes the story of the book of Acts. And it is continued throughout the history of the world in the work of the church. Just like the Samaritan did to the innkeeper leaving him with resources so that the healing care could continue in his absence, so Jesus has done for the church. He has given us resources to continue ministering his life-giving and healing work in his absence until he returns. And just think of everything that he has left behind for our care. He's given us the message of the gospel, which is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. When we proclaim this message and someone hears it and believes it, they are given new and eternal life. Healing in Jesus' name, by Jesus' power, with Jesus' resource. He's given to us the gift of His Word, which is described in Proverbs as life to all who find it and healing to all their flesh. This Word is living and active. It does the work in our hearts. It shows us the way to life and death 
in Jesus. He's given us the sacraments of baptism and holy communion, which are outward and visible signs of his inward and spiritual graces at work in us, washing us to make us clean and new, feeding us and sustaining us through our journey of faith and life. He's left us with full and unadded, unfettered access to God's throne of grace so that we can receive mercy and find help in our times of need. He's given us the ministry of prayer and intercession as a way to commune with him and to present ourselves and others before him. He's given us the ministry of confession and absolution so that we can experience the forgiveness of our sins. And deal with our guilt and our shame in healthy and healing and life-giving ways. He's given us the ministry of of the anointing with oil and the rites of healing. And ways to minister to one another in our times of sickness. He's given us ministry to the dying so that even as we face our death, we can be assured that in Christ, yea, though we die, yet shall we live. Given us the resource of one another so that we can have community and fellowship to strengthen and to support one another through all the challenges of life. Above all, He's given us His Holy Spirit, His presence, His person dwelling with us and within us in order to empower all that we do in His name. These and and so many other gifts are the resources that Jesus has left behind in the church for the continuing care and healing of all who need it. This is the work of the church. To administer and to carry on the healing, life-giving, restorative ministry of Jesus on earth until he comes again. And we do it all with the resources that he has left for us. That's all that we have. This is who the church is. This is what the church does. And in this way, she is very much like a hospital, offering care and offering healing and hope and health to a world that desperately needs it with the resources left to her by Christ. This healing ministry of the church, imagined in the metaphor of a hospital, is so incredibly important for our world. In fact, it's essential. Because every single human being who has ever lived needs its care. Jesus reminded us of this when he said that those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And he said to them, I have not come to call righteous, but sinners to repentance. And while Jesus was speaking that as a slight to the Pharisees, who in their self-righteousness thought they had no need of his help, we know that everyone, including those very Pharisees, are burdened by a sin sickness in their souls and are included in Jesus' call to repentance and to healing and to life in him. He came for them also. The Apostle Paul could not make this any clearer when in Romans 3 he declares that there are none who are righteous, not one. We've all fallen prey to sin. We've all been sickened by its work in our lives. We're all spiritually dead or were all spiritually dead as a result of it. 
So we all need Jesus' healing work in our lives as a result. Those who think that they're fine, who, who have no sense of their need, whether they realize it or not, they are in the greatest of dangers and of the need for this. Because they're like an undiagnosed cancer patient, living their life completely unaware of the ravaging damage that sin sickness is doing inside of them. And in the end, if left untreated, it will eventually destroy them. The image of the church as a hospital is so vital because everyone needs this healing work of Jesus. And he's made it freely available to the world through the church. So what are we going to do with this image? What does this image of the church as a hospital call us to? Well, it calls us to care for anyone that we encounter who is in need with the resources that Jesus has left for us until he returns again. We're to extend this care to one another and we're to receive this care from one another. We're to apply the resources that Jesus has given us to the physical and the spiritual and the emotional and the relational and the moral health of everyone we encounter who is in need. This is the exhortation that James gave us in our New Testament reading this morning from James chapter 5 where he writes, Is any one of you suffering? Let him pray. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing them with oil in the name of our Lord. Because the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. If he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. These are Jesus' promises of healing and health through the resources that he has left us with. Which he has promised to make whole when he comes again. So my question for you this morning, church, is are you applying these resources to your life? Are you taking a daily dose of his word? Are you consulting with him regularly in prayer? Are you faithfully confessing your sins? Are you weekly being nourished at this table? Are you taking advantage of and making use of the means that Jesus has left behind in his church for your help? And not just are you receiving them yourselves, but are you extending them to one another? Are you ministering to one another with these gifts that Jesus has given to us? Are you praying for one another? Strengthening and encouraging one another with his word. Blessing one another with forgiveness. Encouraging one another with hope. Are you ministering to one another with these means? And lastly, are you taking them out into the world? Are you sharing these gifts with your neighbors? Which means anyone that you come across who is in need. Are you loving your neighbor as yourself in the administration of these healing gifts? Jesus paid the price, not just for our sin, not just for our healing, but for the sins of the whole world. For the healing of the whole world. These gifts are meant for them as well. Are we being a hospital? For one another and for the world. Part of the reason that I love this image so much 
is because I've personally experienced the benefit and the effect and the healing nature of it. Nearly three years ago, many of you know, I was at a point of vocational crisis and unhealth in my life due to discouragement and depression. Where I eventually said to our parish council that I was not well. And I either needed to get well or I needed to resign as the pastor of the church. In response to my plea for help, the church stepped in and cared for me with a profound, profound resources that Jesus had made available to them for my care, for my healing, for my health. They offered to me Sabbath rest. They reminded me of gospel truths. They interceded for me with powerful prayer. They reminded my heart to give thanks and praise and offered thanks and praise when I could not speak it for myself. They ministered the truth of God's word to me in ways that were a healing balm on the wounds of my heart. And he kept coming side by side to this table each and every week. Letting the Lord feed us and sustain us with his life at this table. You all ministered to me with the resources left to you by Christ. And I received them. And the Lord did a great healing work in my life as a result. And I know I'm not the only one for who this is the case in the midst of this church. I've heard a number of beautiful stories, uh, beautiful and surprising ways that the Lord has used this church to bring a measure of healing into several of your lives as well. On one occasion, it was healing from a difficult previous church experience. On another occasion, it was healing from a time of weariness and exhaustion. In one instance, someone was brought out of a place of significant sin. There have been stories of the Lord meeting and ministering to people through our prayer ministry, which takes place at the back of the church during communion. I heard one story of someone who walked into the doors of this church and immediately began crying. Because the Spirit of God met him here and reminded him that this is exactly what it needed for his healing in that season of his life. For a church as small as we are, there have been a number of stories of ways in which the Lord has met people in surprising and significant ways through the ministry of this church. I believe that it is a grace that the Lord has given to this community that we need to be aware of, that we need to celebrate, and we need to press into. Because our Lord is a great physician. He is the great physician. He has promised to heal all who come to him. And he has left resources with his church to carry out that healing ministry until he comes again. So will we do that? A while back, the Lord brought someone to our church who was coming out of an incredibly difficult situation and when uh, in which they had been deeply wounded and were in need of significant healing. And at the end of my very first conversation with this person, tears began to well in this person's eyes. And they said to me, I need to find healing. Can this church be a hospital? I answered to them then, and my prayer for us now 
May it be so. May it be so. May the church be like a hospital. And may we all find healing and health in the resource that Jesus has left behind for our care. For God's glory. For our good. Amen.